Hello, everyone. My name is Bala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. Ray and I welcome you to join us. Follow us on Twitter at DisruptTVShow. Send us your questions using hashtag DisruptTV and Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests will do our best to answer during the live show. We have about 190 interviews that are also on uh, podcasts that you can check out on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce Ray Wong, uh, CEO, founder of Constellation Research, uh, regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, ZDNet, and best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, one of the best follows on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray. Hey, thanks a lot, Bala, and always for the wonderful introduction. We are here with Bala Afshar as well, one of the top CIO and CMO influencers in the world, big contributor to Huffington Post, and a, also a master storyteller, but we'll talk about that some other day. So, who do we have today? Who's, who do we have from the GTA? I am so excited to have Stuart Lombard, founder and CEO of Echobee, as our first guest. CEO is a uh, Stuart is the president and chief executive of Echobee, founded the company in 2007, in pursuit to reduce his family's carbon footprint and, 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 and save money. He discovered that heating and cooling made up the majority of his home's energy use. So he built a thermostat smart enough to deliver comfort, conserve energy, and pay for itself uh, in energy savings. His work and dedications have propelled Ecobee to become a top smart thermostat brand in the US and Canada, compatible with industry's leading smart home ecosystems, including Apple HomeKit, Amazon Echo, and Samsung SmartThings. Stuart is a fantastic follow on Twitter at STU underscore L-O-M-B-A-R-D. Welcome, Stuart, to Disrupt TV. Thanks very much for having me. Great to be here. Thank you. Hey, thanks a lot for being on the market. As you can tell, this, this show's theme is really about what's happening in the world of IoT, smart homes, devices. All right, let's start with the story of why? Why did you start this? Because usually entrepreneurs and founders think about a problem that they're having and they go at it and they solve a problem for everyone else in the process. But yours was a different kind of story as well. So tell us about Ecobit. Yeah, I mean, you talked a little bit about it at the beginning. It really started from, you know, me uh, being out of the job, first of all, and secondly saying, okay, I'm going to spend some time and figure out, you know, how can I reduce my environmental footprint? And, and really the insight I had was like, I was going to go buy a Prius and I actually did put solar panels on my roof, but it was like, crap, those are really expensive. Yes. And if I could just program my programmable thermostat, how much better could I do? And the products in the market at the time were like really hard to use. They weren't internet connected. Um, and we thought if we could use data, how much better could we do? And, and the answer is a lot. So if you put it in context, I have $26,000 of solar panels on my roof. I have a $250 Ecobee. My $250 Ecobee saves me about as much energy as my $26,000 in solar panels. Whoa, whoa, that's awesome. I mean, you're, you're getting like a hundred, a thousand X improvement there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. I mean, Toronto's not the sunniest place, so I'll put that in context. But, um, you know, it's a mammoth impact. Actually, it's funny because when we started, we said like, okay, you know, it'll be really cool is we'll be able to check off cities that our customers take off the grid by their savings, right? And so, you know, at the beginning, we'd be in a, in a company stand-up meeting and we'd say like, hey, we just took Smith Falls off the grid, you know, and everybody would cheer. And of course, no one's ever heard of Smith Falls, right? Or a few people have heard of Smith Falls. Um, but now actually, you know, we're talking about cities that have, you know, NBA basketball teams. And so it's, uh, it's quite cool. That is there's uh, a lot of analysts, uh, firms that are forecasting things connected to the internet, uh, including smart homes. 
at, at, at quantities that, you know, three times the population of, uh, you know, uh, Earth uh, in, in a couple Did of I years. Did I say I love those guys? Yeah. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Did I say I love those guys? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, we, had a, we had an executive from Cisco uh, who's responsible for uh, leading innovation. Cisco's projections of 50 billion connected devices in the next few years. As you've been leading uh, Ecobee and growing the company, can you talk to us uh, from a CEO perspective, some of your biggest achievements and challenges as Ecobee has grown into a very successful mid-sized mid company? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you do a startup, it's a journey, right? So there are a lot of challenges that come with uh, with doing any, uh, you know, any startup. And so, um, you know, challenges are lots of, depending on you know, how much time you have. Um, in terms of um, successes, I think, you know, when we started the business, we had really two core aspirations. And the first aspiration was, you know, to build a, a company and a product that our customers and our employees admire. And the second one was to have a significant impact on our customers' lives and the environment. And I really feel like, you know, the journey is never over, but, you know, we've made a significant impact on both of those. We, you know, we measure net promoter score, customer satisfaction really seriously. Our net promoter score right now is around 70 um, you know, we really feel that puts us in the sort of top 1% of consumer electronics companies. Um, and really when you think about how we compete with, you know, Google and, and, and Honeywell who are like, you know, companies with limited budgets and unlimited reach, you know, we're going to win with consumers. And so having that great consumer feedback, you know, is, is, makes me feel really, really proud and, and something, you know, the team I think should feel really proud about. That's amazing. That promotes yeah, no, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, so you know, look, founding founding companies are hard, right? And when you think about trying to take something from concept to commercialization, you said it yourself, you're up against these billion dollar giants, right? Yep. And they they woke up one day and realized, oh my God, we're being disrupted by all these new players, right? You know, I mean, we make better thermostats. You know, we've been in the business for a hundred years. Right? What advice do you give founders when you're scaling up a business? Because there's so many places you can go attack, right? And uh, an existing incumbent. Like, how did you decide what areas you wanted to go after? And then how would they be different versus, you know, after you discovered that Nest was being acquired, all these folks were coming into these places. Like, how do you figure out where to go attack and, and what kind of strategy would you give as advice to founders? So it's a great question. So I think a couple different things. So the first thing is just it's about tenacity and resilience, right? So I tell people, like, we have no right to exist. We should not exist. You know, if you if you were logical and you put us on a piece of paper, we should not exist. We're like a, a barnacle clinic, you know, clinging to a rock in the North Atlantic, being thrashed by the waves, like, and we only survive because, you know, we're resilient and, and you know, on our smarts and, and whatever. And so I think the first thing is really about resiliency. Um, but the other place I think where you can really win is around focus, right? And being really focused on delivering a customer value product. Doing, I think, what Clay Christensen talked about in Good to Great, which is really about, you know, how do you hone that skill, you know, and over time, you know, turn that flywheel and, and really become, uh, you know, an important brand. And if you look at sort of the journey that we've gone through, um, you know, that focus, you know, somebody said to me when we started, they're like, you know, first of all, they said, like, why are you building thermostats? Nobody gives a crap about thermostats. Um, <laughs> And the second thing they said was, you know, you're going to build a thermostat. What are you going to do six months from now, right? And we've been at it 10 years. But the really cool part is I'm more excited about our product roadmap and the opportunities in front of us and where we're going than I've ever been. And being the number one product in a category, um, and right now we're actually number two in the category with about 36% market share, um, 
is that you know it's enabled us to partner with Google and Amazon and Apple, sorry, not Google, Amazon and Apple and Samsung in really exciting ways that's really you know moved the business forward. And so that that focus has really, really helped us. That's terrific. That's terrific. Um, so you're, you're, you're Toronto-based, and uh, very recently, Toronto and Canada uh, have uh, demonstrated that there's a strong commitment to becoming the epicenter of artificial intelligence in the world. Yeah. Uh, big government support, um, uh, uh, companies, large and small startups, uh, the Vector Institute. There's a lot of energy in Canada, specifically Toronto and University of Toronto and Waterloo and others. Um, some would argue the godfather of deep learning is, 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 is in Canada. Yes. Uh, when, when you think about um, the next 10 years of Ecobee and just the, uh, the, uh, the, the intersection of AI and IoT, what are your thoughts about, you know, really, because right now you have beautiful product and incredible service and support, but there's a lot of exciting stuff happening in the thermostat space. Yeah. <laughs> so. well, uh, I think a couple things. I think one is, you know, and, and other people have said it, but I think AI machine learning will change uh, the way people interact with computing, um, the way we run our businesses and the way our society works, the way the internet has. Like it'll have that same magnitude in my opinion. Um, and then when we think about where we're going, we think about our, you know, we start with our customer, right? And that customer is, you know, you think about it, I don't know if you have kids, but you know, you wake up in the morning, you try and get your kids like at least dressed first of all, then you try and get them fed, then you get them to school, then you fight traffic, you get to work, your boss is probably a dork and you know, you have a demanding career and then you get home and you take them to soccer and you got to make dinner and cut the grass and oh, I'm exhausted, right? And so yeah. how do we make our customers' lives simpler and better, right? And so that's really about how do we understand you know, what you want to do, what other products are in your house, um, and then how do they work together and how do we create uh, this, you know, really magical experience that anticipates what you want. Voice is a big part of that because in your home, voice is an awesome experience. And so we've been working on voice for about two and a half years. Um, it's faster, you know, it's context aware. You don't have to navigate through menus. It's much faster than typing. Um, and so we believe that it's going to be the cornerstone of really a new computing platform in the home. Um, and our goal is to be a big part of that. But all around, you know, how do we make those everyday chores, all the things that you have to do, just simpler and better. Right. Hey, and you, you've basically made a big shift from just going to smart uh, thermostats in that sense to actually creating Alexa-enabled, um, really being endorsed by Apple, um, you know, as, as really being that interface inside the home, what's next, right? What do you want to, what do you want to hit next? Because besides the thermostat, there's a whole bunch of other home automation, home areas that, that could be interesting extensions of where you are, you know, based on what you have on the voice technology, the sensors that are available. And of course, you know, all the other things that you're able to do accessories around from, you know, humidifiers to ventilators to like HRV or ERVs if you want. So. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, the first one that, that, that I'm really excited about that we've announced is our, is our smart light switch product. And so it's a Wi-Fi connected light switch and that's, you know, that's phenomenal, it's great, you can get lots of value from it. But we've embedded uh, Farfield Voice into that light switch. So it's like getting a Wi-Fi connected light switch and say an Amazon Echo Dot all in a single product, all in a form factor that, that fits into your wall, that's beautiful, that doesn't have any uh, cords, or it's not gonna collect dust. There's sort of an argument going around right now that there's a, um, there's a battle on for the side table. And everybody wants to create a device that you're gonna put on the side table next to your couch. <laughs> well, why don't we just integrate it into the wall where it's all nice and seamless? Um, and then right. the second thing we're doing is we're packing all our devices with more and more sensors. So if you look at where your smartphone was, or your phone was, it wasn't a smartphone, where your phone was in 2006, 
you know, it was probably a, a crappy phone and a crappy camera, right? Maybe, right? And then you had your own digital camera and you had an iPod and you had a GPS in your car and then fast forward three or four years and all those things morphed into a single device. You know, once we have a CPU on your wall, the incremental cost of adding a sensor I mean, it's not an Echo Dot, but it has the functionality of an Echo Dot all inside it, right? And more and more capabilities into fewer, smaller devices that work seamlessly in your home and kind of disappear, but then they can do a lot more for you. And, and that's where we see really that, that step change in function to this really delightful user experience. So this thermostat is just the beginning. It's absolutely just the beginning, and there's like a, you know, there's a long roadmap, actually. You know, when I talk about it, the guys, you can hear them having heartburn in the room next door. They're like, hey, don't come up with any more ideas, you know? That's awesome. Whatever you don't talk to the guy who told you, why would you get into the thermostat business? <laughs> but, uh, no, it's at Ray and I, this week, we had the privilege of co-presenting with, um, with Walt Mossberg at right. a conference. And Walt talked about the future uh, in the context of ambient computing. Yeah. And he used voice as the new user interface. And he talked about fast forward five, 10 years from now, and you're really talking and, and receiving insights and, 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 and improving your quality of life uh, with ambient computing. So, so it's, it's very much in line with, I believe, uh, what we just heard from you. So if you, we have a lot of entrepreneurs and startup founders watch the show. What kind of advice would you give to a CEO or a founder uh, of a company who's thinking about uh, entering the smart home category business and in industry? Right. Well, I think one thing is, you know, we, we tell ourselves, you know, we compete with the iPhone, right? And of course, you don't make phones, right? But consumer expectation of what a device is, is the iPhone. So when you put something in someone's home, you know, they pull their phone out of their pocket and they're like, is it as good as this? Because if it's not, it's shit. I don't know, I shouldn't swear, sorry. Call it, call it like that. Um, but, uh, you know, and so you compete with the iPhone. And so really around, you know, how do you create that phenomenal user experience? How do you, how do you create a product that's crafted uh, with the same quality levels? Because while there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of discussion out there about how much less expensive it is to start a business today. You can use open source tools, you can do 3D printing. There are a lot of things that make starting a business much more advantageous, but the thing that's changed on the other side is that consumer expectations are so much higher. So when I started like my first, uh, you know, I started an internet service provider in 1994, right? And uh, in 1994, like that was even before, Mark Andreessen was still at the University of, uh, of Illinois, right? He was still working on like a product called Mosaic that became Netscape that like whatever, right? There weren't any websites, right? And then, you know, in 1995, animated GIFs came out and animated GIFs people were like, oh my God, animated GIFs, right? And so in the world of animated GIFs, is exciting, like the bar was really low, but today, you know, you look at all what we have with AR and VR and the phenomenal products that are out there, consumer expectations are super high. And so making sure that your product is not just good, but is really great. And that difference between, you know, good and great, you know, to me, it's like when I was in high school, I submitted a paper and if I got a B, that was like, oh, that's awesome. That's really good, right? <laughs> Um, but with your consumer electronics product, you really need like a 95, 96, 97, 98% where people are like, hmm, it's okay, you know? And, uh, and so to really get above, you really need to like strive to really 
hit that high bar of excellence, which takes time and effort and, and frankly money. It doesn't, it, so it doesn't surprise me that your net promoter score is a 70, which is phenomenal, like you said, top 1%. Uh, it seems like you guys treat customer experience as if though it, it is the product. It's not just the brand, the experience defines the product. That's right. And I think all the way from the time the person touches it on shelf till you know the time they install it till the time they speak to our customer support representatives if they do you know how they use it all those kinds of things that whole journey from beginning to end we really think you know carefully about it. i mean it's actually one of the things i'm most proud of is that um you know when you read some of the customer reviews they say this is the best instruction manual i've ever seen right and it's that care and attention to detail that really just you know makes me so excited and i'm like wow that's you know the team did an awesome job just to like make sure every detail was just perfect very cool very cool that's that's awesome you are a serial entrepreneur and that's what makes this very interesting from from what you're hinting at from info ramp all the way to uh, where you are today um leadership advice for founders right you've done it before you've made your mistakes um what are some of those top mistakes and and who are some of the mentors who help dig you out of those and help <laughs> you think through uh you know a, a different path so um Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll just, you know, I'm still in therapy on the mistakes, so maybe we'll just, we'll leave those. Uh, you know, I, I, think, I think one of the things actually, like is as you scale, that, 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 that I really came to realize was, um, you know, when you're small and you're seven or 12 people and you're all in the same room, um, you know, ideas spread by osmosis, right? The person who's sitting at, at the desk next to you, you know, they know everything that's going on, whether you want them to or not, right? And so, um, you know, but when you grow, that doesn't happen. Right. And so how do you keep that same culture? How do you keep everybody in line? How do you keep people engaged? How do you make sure that people understand what they're doing and how it fits into the you know, overall company uh, direction and strategy uh, becomes really, really critical, like communication. So if you ask me, like, what I think our biggest challenge is, our biggest challenge is how do we scale this business over time? Right. And how do we create frameworks that will allow us to grow without like destroying our, our culture? Right. And I say frameworks versus process purposefully because you know frameworks give you room to play processes feel like they're quite you know top-down driven right and so you know how do you put those in place and can you put them in place earlier so that you can you know maintain your culture and it doesn't feel like you're like you know i don't know just you know doing a massive renovation to everything when you get to the next step and you're like you know somebody says you know oh, i didn't know you know i don't know why i don't know why we do what we do right and like okay damn Sure, sure. We, we've been tracking, we've been tracking, oh, sorry, we've been tracking that life cycle, right? Where you go yeah. from getting the best people on your teams, mm -hmm. and then in the next cycle, building the best product, yeah. and then in that cycle of getting the best customers on board. And, and that's the exciting part. What do you do when you get to the part where it's all financial engineering after that? On the IPO side, you just check out and say, hey guys, all yours, you scale out. My part's done, I'm gonna go found another company. Or do you say, I'm gonna stick it through and, 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 and deal with the public investors, all the regulatory requirements, the filing, and say, we're gonna take it to the next journey. Yeah, I think you know, one, of the, one of the great things is that you know, once you, you, know, you get an opportunity to do all those things, right, is what can we do with it? And so, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for guys like Mark Zuckerberg and Sergey and Larry, and you know, at any time they could have just said like, hey, I'm cashing in my checks and I'm going to the beach and I'm like, that's, I'm done, right, I'm out. Um, but they didn't and look what they did with it, right? And, and 
and really have a unique opportunity. It's so hard to get to like, you know, when we were like 1 million in revenue and, you know, and nobody would give us money. And, you know, I remember like thinking like, you know, they're going to, they're going to take the keys out of my dead hand. Like I'm going to like, we're going to do this or, you know, they're going to take the keys out of my dead hand. Right. And, um, and you get to a point where now actually you have a bit more, uh, opportunity to, to kind of define where you go and what you do. And, and, and the challenges are different, right? It's not about whether we're going to be alive tomorrow. It's about what are we going to do five years from now? And, and, and that's a pretty exciting thing. And so, um, you know, I have tons of respect for people who've been able to do that and to, and to keep going. Um, and that's sort of the, you know, that's the next step of our journey. And I think that, you know, out of this space, there will be a Google or a Facebook. Um, and our goal is to be that company. That's oh, wonderful. We are here with Stuart Lombard, founder and CEO of Ikobi at Twitter. You can follow him at STU underscore L-O-M-B-A-R-D, one of the top startups in Canada, and of course, one of the top serial entrepreneurs. Thank you for being on the show. Thank Thanks you very much. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Wow, that's wow. an awesome success Great story. Great story. Yeah, I love hearing that. I love hearing you know, an incredible, fast-growing Canadian company doing doing good, building great products, and, and uh, it's going to be a very bright future for Applebee's. So I'm looking forward to uh, keeping in touch and having Stuart back on the show in the future. Yeah, definitely. And what's really interesting you know, about that story is like, there's a profile of him on how he wanted to build a collapsible canoe as a kid. So he's been tinkering forever. He's one of those guys that are like, I'm going to make this thing better. I'm going to make this better. So we'll be good. So but, well, we've got another awesome guest on the show. He's at the uh, Terminal five in Heathrow. Hopefully, uh, Charlie unmutes soon and we can pop him on. But this episode is really about what's happening in the Internet of Things. And it's, as you know, and as we've heard from everyone, you know, it's, not, it's more than just IoT and a device, right? We're seeing interesting business models, interesting things happen. And who better to do this than our friend Charlie? So let's, let's introduce Charlie. Yes, yes. We have my good friend, our good friend, Charlie Isaacs, Chief Technology Officer for Customer Connection at Salesforce. Uh, Charlie's had a track record of R&D leadership at companies like Verizon, Answer Systems, Broad Daylight, Primus Knowledge, ATG, and prior to joining Salesforce CTO at Kana. Uh, today, Charlie is Vice President and CTO of Customer Connection and claims to have the best job at Salesforce. I would debate him, <laughs> but, but you know, I think he would win, as he incubates customers worldwide into IoT cloud platform. Charlie holds several pat patents. He's an inventor as it relates to CRM and the Internet of Things. He volunteers at organizations. Anybody who watches Charlie's Twitter feed sees him helping women and minorities early in their STEM career and STEM fields. He's an absolute must-follow on Twitter at Charlie Isaacs, C-H-A-R-L-I-E-I-S-A-A-C-S. Welcome, Charlie, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks. Hopefully you can hear me okay. Uh, can I hang up after that introduction? I think I'm done. <laughs> the mic, right? That's what every guest says on the show. It's the best intro in the business. Well, hey, Charlie, tell us how you got your role at Salesforce. Tell us about that role and how long has IoT been part of this? Because I remember the day you picked up the role. I mean, I, I don't know if I was in the elevator at the Marriott Marquis. It's always something like that at that Marriott. Um, we we're doing some CRM evolution with Paul Greenberg. But tell us about the role, you know, at Salesforce and how long has this IoT component been part of what you've been doing? Yeah, well. Uh, Bala said it, I do have the best job at Salesforce. I started off in the service cloud area and uh, rec recognized after working in service cloud for a while that 
you know, I might turn my video off because I might be breaking up. Um, so if I switch off my video, I apologize. You don't want to look at my face anyway. But so anyway, when I started off in Service Cloud, uh, Dave Kellogg, Salesforce, and I, uh, I recognized that, uh, well, we wanted to grow the, the company, the, actually the, that cloud, uh, and that cloud has been growing by a tremendous amount, but I realized early on that uh, in order to do that, we needed to capture the IoT market. And IoT, as everybody's been talking about all the time, is cross-platform, right? It's not just about customer service. It involves sales and marketing and commerce and everything else. So um, John Toshek was kind enough to pick me up, and I currently work for Peter Coffey and amazing people in that group, including Vala. Vala, I'm allowed to say nice things about you because you work for that group too. So anyway, um, I've been, since then, I've been, uh, at the beginning, I was incubating customers. Uh, I was taking them onto our core platform, force.com, but that core platform, over a couple of years, we were able to build, including actually uh, Interasys, while your old company was one of those uh, early adopters on Salesforce IoT, and we took your technology, and you took your technology, and actually did this proactively, and chattered uh, exceptions and things like that, and did lots of cool stuff, and you wrote a book about it. Can I plug your book, Paula? No. Um, there's a book on Amazon. You should read about this if you're interested in it. But beyond that, I mean, so we started off with uh, connecting companies that had uh, memory and CPU and disk and uh, especially network connectivity. And those were easy to connect up to Salesforce. So we, we just OAuthed in the Salesforce and created uh, rows and custom objects or created cases in, in Salesforce. And then we went from that to um, re, uh figuring out by experimentation and discovery that we, we needed to branch out and build uh, something that's known right now as IoT Cloud. And it requires massive amounts of event processing. Uh, you know, what was mentioned before about Echobee, I mean, they're generating uh, oodles of events. I'm not gonna say billions and trillions, and uh, I'm gonna, I'll use oodles, that's my technology term for many events. And those events come in and they need, um, to improve the customer experience, which is what I focus on with the new, not so new anymore, IoT cloud that's been in GA for a while. But um, so that's my, my story. That was too long, but that was my story and where I got started. That's an awesome, anyway, that's, that's yeah. an awesome story. Yeah, no, I, I was using, um, my team and I, yeah, as you mentioned, we were using the Salesforce platform to communicate with things using social networking as the as the communication medium. And um, yeah, I filed for the patent in 2011 and I received the patent just this year. Um, so it was, that's, that's the history and heritage of using Salesforce platform in the machine-to-machine -machine IoT space. And uh, Charlie, we had a, you know, Cisco is a big customer of ours and we had uh, 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 Kai Kranz, who's the Vice President of Corporate Strategy on our show a couple of weeks ago. And he talked about Cisco has now 14,000 IoT customers across multiple industries. And he talked about the growth of IoT in the B2B space and how there's sometimes a misconception that it's a consumer area that's exposed, uh, growing at, uh, at high rates, but it's also the B2B side as well. You've been doing some interesting workshops recently. Can you talk about your workshops in terms of how you're enabling uh, and, and helping companies create new business models uh, with, with IoT? Sure, sure, I'd love to. Hopefully, I, I think I dropped out for a minute, but hopefully you can still see me okay. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, great. 
the workshops I'm doing are very fun and very exciting. And that's why I, I boast that I've got the best job at Salesforce because um, a company will call and say, hey, we're already a big Salesforce customer. We're using Service Cloud or, or maybe uh, usually Sales Cloud and sometimes even Marketing Cloud. And what they want to do is connect their products up to Salesforce and leverage all that work they've done, all the value they've generated by being on our Salesforce platform. Uh, examples are, you know, creating cases in Service Cloud. Right now, they might be, and a lot of companies are ha are doing this right now. They're literally uh, batch uploading uh, device data, uh, triggering cases in Service Cloud, or manually transposing uh, events that come from the devices and putting them in the, into uh, Service Cloud, creating cases. So that's a no-brainer. That's low-hanging fruit. Uh, I go out. I ask them for data before I go typically, and, and it's not just me, it's many people doing this now at Salesforce Cloud, and we're able to do it really easily. So we do like a four hour workshop, and the goal in the four hour workshop is to uh, take their events, either batch data, we'll take their batch data, or we'll take their real data. If they could do an HTTP post into our endpoint, um, we just take their event data, post it in, and trigger uh, what we call an orchestration in IoT Cloud automatically triggers those workflows and existing functionality they've already built and they're already getting value from in Salesforce. So, um, I don't know, I was at a hot tub. I'll, I'll give you some real examples. Somebody last time I talked about hot tub. I was at a hot tub company and actually, um, we were at two different uh, companies that are doing hot tubs and hopefully I'm not getting myself into trouble here, but I love, I always get a chuckle. Um, so they, they literally, in the, I showed them my prototype because they didn't give me any data prior to going into the um, workshop. I said, okay, look, if the temperature is not sufficient, then um, that means the hot tub didn't heat up hot enough. So create a case in Service Cloud or send a notification via live message, Service Cloud live message to the customer. And that was the, you know, the use case that I, I took into the room with me. And then they said, hey, well, if, if this is that easy, why don't we have the engineers come in from the other room? They're, they happen to be here. The, and, and we rely on partners for the first mile. So <laughs> Echo and companies like that, we rely on them to come in and do the actual integration uh, for the first mile. And they said, hey, yeah, we can send you an, you know, we can HTTP post your endpoint really easily. Um, give us the URL. So I gave them the URL and they started posting uh, real-time pump data. And uh, this is a word that... Um, wasn't new to me, but it was kind of confusing. Tur turbidity, it's hard to say, it doesn't roll off your tongue, but turbidity is how, how murky the water is in the, in the tub. So uh, we pushed those two factors in and triggered events right there. And they were, I, I was blown away as to how easy it was for them to connect their, their hot tub up. And I was also blown away as to um, how we were able to leverage uh, the, their workflows and everything they had running in Salesforce in their sandbox uh, just right there during the workshop. And during our workshops, it doesn't stop there. It's about ROI, right? So if you can't uh, prove that, you know, that's cool doing that and that's good science project, science fair project, uh, prove the business value behind that, then what good is it, right? So what we do is we spend the end of the workshop bringing the executives in, showing them what business value we can generate by doing that. That's amazing. That's amazing that you can show in four hours use of emerging technology to better business outcomes. And it's companies like Echobee that get a 70 net promoter score because they anticipate customer needs and use analytics to proactively 
you know, resolve issues. Last year at the Gartner Symposium, the forecast was that in a couple of years, there'll be 6 billion cases that are created where things are creating cases directly to the contact center without, you know, IT and help desk and human intervention. So it sounds like we're well on our way to that. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, no, I was going to say this is really interesting. We have uh, the ability to manage turbidity. Um, there's other things that people are looking for from sensors and context. Um, and tell us where context is playing a role for organizations, whether it's in personalization or whether it's improved, uh, you know, in terms of uh, customer service and optimization. Like context seems to be coming up all the time and IoT seems to be playing a big role. Um, where do you see that happen? Where do you see that going in the future? Well, yeah, you nailed it with context. And, and that was one of the limitations, and I hate to say, uh-oh, oh, I hope Mark Benioff's not listening to this. Um, one of the limitations on our current platform, um, you have to actually write code. You um, and not code it if you want, but it, it's easier to do that now with uh, something like IoT Cloud because we do manage context. We manage context on the fly with the real-time events. And also, when we talk about context, we want to know not only what the device is and what the device profile is, we want to also know where it is. And that's what's most important for context for, from a Salesforce standpoint, right? You know, we have CRM data in Salesforce. So we need to leverage that to improve that customer's customer experience. So it doesn't matter if that uh, hot tub turbidity is bad. Uh, we need to inform the customer maybe, or maybe they're on a premium plan. So why not notify the technician to be dispatched to the location immediately. So what's the SLA associated with that um, specific customer? They're a high value customer. So we need to send somebody now. We don't want to wait another hour. So all those things switch context. So my hot tub goes from uh, okay to bad turbidity. And then it goes from bad turbidity to I dispatched the field engineer. But all along the way, those events that are generated, you don't want to um, just generate events and open up millions of cases, you want to switch to that state and say, oh, I've already uh, created a case in Service Cloud, so now I'm waiting for the technician to come. So, so that's, uh, that's pretty machine concept is really important. That's pretty cool. So let's say you're a company and, and you're basically, you, you sold a whole bunch of these spas and you basically want to do remote monitoring. You could say, hey, look, calcium hardness and alkalinity is really high. Okay, we can do the remote, uh, we can remotely adjust that and fix that without having to send someone out there. Or, hey, look, there's a lot of air in the system. We're going to have to send someone out there and figure out where the particles are coming from or what's happening. Or someone says, hey, look, the pump is actually down. Yeah, you need to send a real person out there and carry these 15 parts. So that's really powerful being able to do that because it saves so much time. It helps people figure out what the issue is. And more importantly, you solve the problem at the root cause as opposed to sending out the person trying to figure out what happened and then having someone come back later, right? That's like three trips instead of one. So, Yeah, yeah you, you nailed it again. And that's what like a company like Emerson is doing that, exactly that. Emerson's got, uh, they install HVAC systems, right, in your business, your home. And they used to go out there and, I hope I'm not going to get myself into trouble on this one, but they used to go out there and install a bunch of sensors in your house and say, oh, okay, the heating works, the air conditioning works, I've installed this properly, then leave. Most likely what happened and what they were seeing was the person, the technician, tested the, the air conditioning during the summer but didn't test the heater because it was hot outside and had no good way of testing the heater. So what they did was, and hadn't fully tested that heater, 
but now they're feeding that data in real time into IoT Cloud, and it does like an automated checklist for them. It checks every sensor, make sure that every sensor has been, you know, switched to the good state from the bad state. And yep. that is reducing, exactly as you said, Ray, you nailed it, it's reducing truck rolls. They don't have to go back in the winter when the customer goes to turn their, their heater on and it doesn't work. Yeah, makes total sense. And, and so Charlie, with all these workshops, with all the travel that you do, and I know you personally, as an executive sponsor, work to make sure customers are implementing the technology properly and really realizing the business outcomes that they... Oh wait, you just froze. Yeah, I think what he's uh, trying to ask uh, is, you know, who in your organization, I mean, he's trying to ask you like, who are your mentors? Who are the folks you know, that you spend time oh, with? Oh. Yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, you've got time for that okay. too, despite all your travel, which is pretty incredible, so. Yeah, okay, so the question was, who are my mentors? Yes. Oh, okay, sorry about that. You broke up with the cut out. Um, so, gosh, my, my mentors are many. Uh, everybody I meet, well, I think I stole this from you, but everybody I meet, I learn something from, and that's so true. That's one of your quotes. Oh, we lost Bala. Okay. Oh, no. Was that just me? Oh, did everybody, did anybody No, else you are still here on the show. We're here with Charlie Isaacs. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, great. I'll carry on. So mentors, my, my most important mentor, and this is why I do volunteer a lot uh, with organizations like uh, Black Girls Code. My, my first mentor was a high school teacher in ninth grade who um, taught me all about uh, technology from the beginning. And I learned a lot from him and I was influenced at an early age about going into electronics and we actually were building, um, you know, we were fabricating integrated circuits out of semiconductors. But so over the years I had other mentors and this is the, the, the woman in engineering aspect of this. I worked, worked for a woman, uh, her name was Louise Kirkbride and she was the first woman engineer at Caltech. Uh, you know, trailblazer, I'll use that term, trailblazer she was. Um, she went to, um, she went. She started a, a company called Answer Systems. She brought me in there for, uh, to broad daylight with her, and and she was amazing. So, at an early age, I was learning about how someone can be impacted, um, and and that could shape their future. So that's why I volunteer so much with uh, Black Girls Code and other STEM-oriented organizations because we really need to feed the pipeline. Uh, it's, I'm selfish, but I want to feed the pipeline for Salesforce. We're also helping uh, women and minorities go into other companies. Um, they should be going to Salesforce, by the way. If you're listening, you should be coming to Salesforce. Hey, uh, hey, hey. We're, 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 we're hiring. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, with that, okay, so I, I wouldn't, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't plug people like Mark Benioff. I mean, oh my gosh. Uh, kiss up, right? I know. Uh, John Hoshek, <laughs> what an amazing guy to work for. Mentor, you know, uh, P Peter Coffey is my immediate boss and I learn something from every time I hear him speak. So really cool mentors in my life. That's wow, true. This is wonderful. So, Hey, when you think about what's going on, right. In terms of IOT programs and making IOT programs work, what are the tough challenges? Is it like trying to figure out where to put the sensors? Is it trying to figure out the data strategy? Is it trying to figure out uh, what to do with that information and, and take it to action? Like, where do people start, or do you have to do all three of these at the same time, or is there a certain sequence that seems to work inside organizations? Yeah, so where people start. People start typically with me at the first mile. You know, I, I go out, sometimes I brainstorm with them, and um, if they haven't 
done if they haven't built their product with sensors in it and they haven't connected their product up to the up to the web and it's not pushing data into the web then i know they're a long way away but i work with them uh to help them build an roi early on so i can prove that they're going to get disrupted sorry there's a lot of distractions around me right now people are walking around the airport um but the uh, uh the roi needs to be proven up front so that they can embark on those iot projects and then uh, we could do a little prototyping up front, even without having the, the product sensors in, in place. And that's what I started off doing, you know, four years ago when we didn't have IoT Cloud, really. Um, we were doing prototyping, and then uh, I'd say, hey, call me back when you've got everything connected up and you've got your sensors and you know you want to do it. And sure enough, those companies are starting to call back now, and they're saying, hey, uh, we're ready for you. Uh, and we saw this IoT Cloud thing. We're really interested in it. That's fire call. Hey, can you interview the folks in Heathrow and ask them what they think IoT is? Kind of like the man on the street kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> like these, these, these two guys at the table here? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you guys think of uh, IoT, Internet of Things? Oh, this other guy's on the phone. Now he's mad at me. Sorry. Okay. So, <laughs> they're, they're laughing at me. Oh, now, uh oh, security's coming over. No, oh, we, we got to go. We got to go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm joking. I'm joking. No, this is awesome. We are here live with Charlie Isaacs in T5, London Heathrow Terminal. Charlie's the uh, CTO for Customer Connection at Salesforce, and you can follow him on Twitter at Charlie Isaacs, I-S-A-A-C-S. -S. Thanks for being on the show. Safe travels, Charlie. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, thanks. I love you guys. You're Thank my mentors, you. too. I forgot to say that. Oh, wait, no, Ray. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Always exciting. Always wonderful. It's uh, Charlie Isaacs here. Um, Ray, so, oh. Ray, Ray, Charlie's one of the reasons I joined Salesforce. I mean, he's an oh, incredible, wow. incredible person. Yeah, that is, that is awesome. So we've got some technical glitches here. Um, Andy has been kicked off by his telco provider. Um, and so we will catch up with Andy in a future episode. I believe that the uh, message from the telco provider was classic, so I have to read it. It says, telco has just announced service suspension of Google Hangouts, video, audio, off. So that's where we are. So <laughs> I don't know what's, what's with that message, but apparently uh, in his neighborhood, they, they, they banned where, Google where was, where, was, where was Andy dialing in from, Ray? He's dialing in from a, a town called Eastbourne, London. Uh, Eastbourne, outside of London in the UK. It's in the south, it's south of, uh, it's the southern tip of, uh, of, the, of the UK. So it's uh, for him. Sure, He's sure. not on the we were show. Able, we were able to get Charlie from London and uh, so one for two, I guess. Maybe we only get one today. Like, I mean, that's what happens with the uh, telco service. But we'll have to deal with that later. But we've got an exciting episode 80. Can you believe 80 uh, coming up? And uh, this one is really, really cool. Um, so we're, we're talking about CX in a way we haven't talked about it before. And, uh, you know, let's, let's talk. Let's, who do we have as guests? Who's up there? We have uh, Brian Kennedy. He's the CEO and founder of Move Guides. Uh, we also have David Stewart, who's the executive vice president of OC Tanner Company. He's an author, and he's going to talk to us. And, of course, we have what you and I, and I think most of the folks in the CRM industry affectionately call the godfather of CRM, Paul Greenberg, the founder and managing principal of the 56 Group, and more importantly, I think uh, his book, uh, CRM at the Speed of Light, fifth edition, is the most uh, read CRM book of all time. So we'll be talking about lots of uh, amazing uh, mix of technology, culture, business leadership next week. 
So very cool. We will end this broadcast early. Thank you everyone for being on the show. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV show, all full with lovely, fun Google Hangout <laughs> problems and issues. We'll be switching platforms. If you are a platform provider and want to be a sponsor of the show, let us know because we are swapping platforms soon. So thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Mm -hmm.